experiences are what define us. Everything in your life can teach you. We call these our defining moments. Now, join Debbie Montgomery Johnson and her featured guest as they help you stop hiding things in your life and instead learn to embrace them and stand proud. It's Defining Moments, and it begins now. Here is your host, Debbie Montgomery Johnson. Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited to be back this week to Defining Moments. And I... This is only our second adventure into the show, and I'm so excited that you were with us last week when I could share my defining moments with my mother and dad, Jack and Gwen Butts. And it was just an extraordinary experience to be able to talk about something that was so personal to me and that happened to me in my life and changed my life forever and actually changed it for the good. But this week, we are speaking with a great friend of mine. Her name is Christy Rutherford, and Christy is the president of Live Up Leadership, a leadership development and training company, and she works with companies and with people all around the world. She's a speaker, a radio show host, an author, and the most amazing thing to me is she's published five number one best-selling books on Amazon in eight months, and I was blessed to be part of one of those, and we're going to talk about that one today. But Christy served over 16 years as an active duty Coast Guard officer and is the 13th African-American woman to achieve the rank of 05. It's an officer rank. Would be lieutenant colonel in the Air Force and probably lieutenant commander or commander in the Coast Guard. We'll talk about that, too. And it was extraordinary for her. Uh, But her defining moment came from that experience in the Coast Guard. But I want to thank her for her service before I go any further because it's an extraordinary thing to be a member of the military these days. And uh, thank you, Christy, when, when we do talk, but thank you so much. Christy has attended the Harvard Business School uh, for their program for leadership development. She also earned a Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Business from South, Amer- South Carolina State University. You will hear her accent soon. And an MBA from Everett University. But the most f- fun thing for me is we're going to talk about this, is that she is a sous chef. De Pat, and I'm not quite sure what that is, but I'm looking forward to hearing that. So, hearing about that. So, no further ado, I'd like to introduce my friend, Christy Rutherford. Hey, hon, how are you today? I'm fantastic, Debbie. Thanks. I was laughing. Of course, I was on mute when you said we're going to hear her accent. (laughs) (laughs) So, everybody, here she is. She's my South Carolina friend who I believe is living up in Baltimore now, or is that where you are? Yeah, in D.C. It's close enough. Up in D.C. Same area. Yeah. Same area, especially if you live up there. It's all one big one big circle, one big beltway. One big thing. So thank you so much for being here. You and I have had a couple of years um, adventures together. And uh, the first one was when we, I believe when we were in Arizona, we'd gone out to participate in the Dedicated Entrepreneur Program with Sharon Lecter. And what an extraordinary time. But Christy and I, I think we were both doing different things back then. I know I was not doing the woman behind the smile or defining moments. Can you explain a little bit about why you went out to define to a dedicated entrepreneur and what's happened since then? I think that when we went, we were both searching for who we were and crushed in our challenges of life. And so who are we now? And I went to Sharon Lecter's event because one is Sharon Lecter, but <laughs> and I loved Outwitting the Devil, which is one of the books that she brought to life by Napoleon Hill. I'm I'm obsessed with Outwitting the Devil even to this day. And really, I went because I wanted to be around other women. I wanted to experience and and see what Sharon 
had to offer us and it was life changing because it reminded me, even though I was crushed by life and still trying to find my way and who I was meant to be in this world, it was great to have, to be reflected with other great and powerful women. So that's what it really did for me. It reminded me of who I was and, and what I was working to become. Did you find it at all a little bit intimidating to be around some of those folks who I felt were extraordinarily successful even though we were you know, first, beginning entrepreneurs. Yeah, in the first two days, I didn't talk. I didn't talk for two days. And I talk a lot. So you know that must be shocking. But <laughs> I didn't start talking until the third day. So it was intimidating because I was like, I'm in, I'm in a room with 50 Christies. And, and, you know, the Christie, the military officer, not Christie, the entrepreneur, because that's a completely different person. So it was, it was, I wouldn't say intimidating as in scary, but it was just interesting to watch. And I just, I wanted to observe and, and take it all in and not talk and, and be overbearing or just say anything. So I just absorbed everybody for the first two days. It was, it was awesome. And you were very quiet. I didn't know you had a voice until a little bit later. I think you were a little like me where I remember standing back in the back of Sharon's living room watching this crowd. And then when we had to talk and give our session or our little <laughs> talk about who we were, people actually listened. And I'm thinking, oh, my, I wonder, <laughs> this is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until you and I actually spent a night in in a hotel room that I learned so much about your story. And I I always have a great love for women that have served in the military. Uh, I think we have this instant bond of knowing mm-hmm. something about each other that others don't know about us. Did you, how do you feel about your time in the service? I mean, when did you go in? Why did you go in? Why the Coast Guard, if you could answer some of those questions for me? Sure. I joined the Coast Guard while I was in college, and I didn't know what the Coast Guard was, but they were offering a scholarship program. They were recruiting minority officers. It, it wasn't that many of us in the service, and it wasn't that many at the time. And so I joined this program really because my friend joined. And we're broke college students. <laughs> you know? And she came back to school driving a Mitsubishi 3000 GT. And I said, mm-hmm. you know what? Do you remember the Mitsubishi? It's like, it's like mm-hmm. the baddest sports car ever. They don't, I don't think they make them anymore. But when she came back to school driving that car, I said, I don't care what the Coast Guard is. I'm going in. I'm going to get this money. And, we're, you know, we only had a three-year commitment, but I ended up staying longer. So I joined because it was really, it was, it was a secure job when you graduated. And I didn't want to move back home. I wanted something that was going to be solid, and I wanted to be challenged. And really, I just wanted the money. So, but, and I wanted my very paid for, and we got a stipend while we were there. So that was really the, that was really what attracted me to the service. And uh, in, it, in it your was a class, great class. How many women were in your class at the time? It was remember? three, three at boot camp, and when we got to when I got, when I got to officer school, I think it was eight or maybe eight or nine of us, or seven to nine or something like that. So very, very few. Oh, it's always, yeah, it's very small. Very few. I mean, there. I was in the Air Force, and there were more women in the Air Force. And, and uh, you know, there are some things when I when I look at, read your story, I'm thinking, well, you know, I didn't really encounter a lot of what Christy did. And I think maybe it's because of the size of their service, and their women were more prevalent in the Air Force. Yeah, it's a demographic. Our demographic, it was it was 50, 50 or so. 50 was a high number. Uh, that was and that was as I was on my way out. But 50 or so black female officers out of 47,000 people. So our demographic was 0.1%. So when we walked in a room, when I walked in a room, I, I was black, female, 
and then when as as I continued to grow and ascend in my career, higher ranking, so that it became an interesting transition because I could be even at the Katrina response, I was the only black officer there, the only black woman, of course, you know. So anywhere I went, I was typically the only one. Sometimes we would be the only one in our state or in our region. So it, it's it's interesting. I had a great time, but to to deal with that and still be able to be successful uh, was not easy. Absolutely. And, and when you mentioned Katrina, of course, I'm sitting down in South Florida. We just got through Hurricane Irma this past weekend and then the folks out in Houston with Harvey. Um, how did you feel not being in at this time when these hurricanes started to hit? What, what was your gut reaction to what was going on? And did you want to be down here? Of course. It was, <laughs> when I think about it, I, I, since I left, it's been five years. I, I never wanted to put on my uniform. I was, I was done. You know, I did, I, did, I did the reserves for about a year and a half, but I didn't have the desire to put on my uniform until this happened because that's what we do. This is We show up. We show up to serve. And to be at my rank and who I am, I'm going to put my uniform on and I'm going to go to Houston, and maybe they'll figure it out after about two weeks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but I did train a lot of junior leaders behind me. And they and and they're deployed, so I know that I left the watch in good hands. So I'm not necessarily as concerned, but this is definitely one of those things that we respond to. This is when we show up. This is when we do our best. And so it's the one time since I've left that I wanted to put my uniform back on and go respond. So you you left a great legacy when you left the service. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I was talking to a friend the other yesterday. I actually ran into her at the store, and her husband is a retired uh, first. Um, I want to say for, oh, I just had a senior moment. He was a fireman, actually, and uh, retired (laughs) and had not been able to participate in the last year in the things that have been going on in Florida. And she said it really changed him physically where his mind and his body were just having trouble not being able to go out and serve anymore. And uh, I think I felt that a little bit, too, when I got out of the service like you. When you hang up your uniform, you don't know how to get dressed in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> because for all those years, you knew what you're going to be wearing. So It took me a few years to learn how to dress. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, it's been perfect. And, I, and I'm, again, I thank you for your service. I know you did so very much. You wrote a book about that, and that was your first book, I believe, was Shackled by Success? Yes. Yep. That's right. And so that chronicled your adventures. And actually, that's when I first really found out about you and understood who you were and what had happened in your career was by reading that book. And how did, how'd you come about writing that? And did you do it quickly or was it something you thought about for a long time? I never wanted to tell the challenges because champions, and that's a book that we actually have coming out in, in two, three weeks, a book called champions never tell. And my the book that I wanted to write was my second book, and it and it's called Heal Your Brokenness, and that's the book that I wanted to publish first, and I wanted to share how people can heal. But when you think about it, and if you know me now, you you people now see me on the other side of the storm. So who am I to tell somebody to heal their brokenness if I'm always happy, if I'm always laughing, if I'm always motivating, if I'm always inspiring? They'll say, Christy, nothing has ever happened to you. You don't know what I've been through. You can't feel my pain. How can you tell me how to heal? 
you're always happy. You're, you know, you're, you're our hero. You, you have all these things because you, you never want to pull the curtain back to show people what Oz really looks like. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that is I really was, interesting. That's me. Yeah. That's me in a, in a heartbeat too. So keep that going because yeah. it's hard to, well, was, to open up like that and really lay yourself out there. Yeah, I was pressed by uh, a higher power to to write that book. I did not want to. I resisted, and <laughs> it took me, that book took me five months to write because I had to relive and dig into the stories and relive it in order to bring it to life in live and full of color. I think I ate three gallons of ice cream. Uh, I probably gained 10 pounds when I was writing that book, and, and I was chronicling it on Facebook. I suffered as I wrote that book because I had to face my challenges and the decisions that I made to stay or the decisions that I made to react or the decisions that I made. And I had nightmares. So I, I remember when Maya Angelou talked about, she wrote how I know why the cage bird sings. She went into a hotel, she checked in and she would say she would lay on the bed and get into the moment for, you know, 35 minutes to an hour. And then she would write from that space and then she would check out of the hotel and go home, so she would leave the story where it was. So it was only when I was writing it and, and, and in it that I now understand why you have to separate. If you're going to write a painful book, you need to separate the home space from the writing space because that's how you'll get reprieved when you're digging into your soul to, to really inspire the world. And so I wrote the book to really share with women and not necessarily know what was going to happen, and not necessarily knowing how people would respond, but I just knew I had to get it out. And the response was overwhelming when I was done and how many women it touched and how it put life and, and, and a feeling in something that women had that they couldn't express themselves. Well, vulnerability is key to connection. And yeah. I think that's the story that we both have where, you know, this whole standing up in our power and, and getting our story out. It's very difficult at first, but it's very mm-hmm. therapeutic to do so. And I, I encourage so many women. That's the first step when you become either a victim to something or you've had something tragic happen in your life is to speak up and tell your story to someone. Find someone trusted that you can talk to. That's the hardest part is to find somebody that you trust that's not going to yeah. tell you that you're stupid or that, you know, you, you shouldn't do what you're doing. And I know that you probably had a lot of people tell you, you better keep quiet. And and that's hard when you have people that you look up to that are telling you to be quiet because you know that there's something that you need to tell. And you were in a man's world, and, and this isn't going to be a man basher because I love men, And but you had a different experience than I did in the service where the men you actually worked with were not terribly, not not all of them, but some of them were not terribly supportive of you or appreciative of what you did. Is that a true statement? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And for those people, can you really quickly, we're going we're gonna to go to a break pretty soon, but we're okay. going to talk a little bit more next in the next ses- session about exactly what happened and, and uh, how it affected you in, in a good way and in a bad way. Um, but the men that you surrounded yourself with, who did you try to, to put around you while you were going through some of those hard times in the service? Well, it's interesting. I, I was on a ship. It wasn't, it wasn't all bad and it wasn't everybody, but the negativity is what people feel the most. 
And I think I became numb to it after a while, but I was on a ship. That was awesome. I did have some challenges, but I remember the greater challenges that I had was when I moved to my second office. So I had about 18 months and had, you know, I had a little, little bit under my belt, some experiences and the young guys. So, you know, you have the officers and enlisted people. So the, the enlisted guys would walk past me and almost like knock me over in the hallway. And you're not supposed to do that to officers. They didn't do that to the other white men. And, and, and so I told their supervisor, I'm like, hey, these guys are almost physical and, and it's threatening to, to me. And I don't appreciate it. So you need to address them because I, I will curse them out. To be, you know, use my presence or to be overbearing or try, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm trying to like be the officer and be respected and be respectful. But if these guys keep doing that, I'm going to bring the business. I was known for that. And, and they wouldn't address them. And that, that's what pissed me off. They were like, oh, they're just being guys. And I'm like, no, they're not supposed to do this by law, you know. And so it, 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 it really bothered me that my peers or even their supervisors would not stand up for me, but they wouldn't allow that to happen to anybody else. And, and, that, and, and the rage from and the resentment created arthritis. So I was crippled when I was 25 because I couldn't manage the rage of being disrespected and I actually wanted to leave, but because I was crippled, I mean, I had a handicap sign for, for six months. I was 25 because that rage crippled me. I couldn't leave because, you know, military is hundred percent. You're, you're, you're covered medically. Benefits, and nobody right. knew I had arthritis. So I walked around, I had my appointments before, after work or at lunch. So I suffered so much at the hands of people disrespecting me, but more angry because they did it. And then I would curse them out, and now I'm I'm emitting negativity there, and their bosses wouldn't handle it. So, and then you're suffering with the autoimmune deficiency. So that was that was interesting. That was about two years where I said, Chrissy, you know, you need to get your anger in order. You need to learn how to count. You need to get your stress in order, and figure out what's going on in your body. And I ended up uh, solving or curing my arthritis myself without being on medication forever because I knew that was not my destiny. Okay. And well, that Chrissy, was early in my career. Let's hold on to that thought in a minute because the, the mental and the physical are so intertwined and yeah. how you deal with those and how you how you kind of uh, put the lasso around them and uh, rein them in is very important uh, in so many different aspects of our life. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back with Christy telling us about the rest of the story, what happened and how she was able to change some of the, those difficult things around in her life and how she was able to work well with some of the folks in her office. So we'll be right back. Stay where you are, and thank you so much, Chrissy. I'll be right back with you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you've always wanted to take the lead in your life, but you don't believe you are a leader, then it's time to change that mindset. Leadership expert Linda Patton will help you discover the powerful leader that lives within and teach you the leadership skills that will transform your business and your life. Stepping into your leadership brings reality to your vision, and leadership can be learned. Find out more on Leadership Stars every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Today, we are part of an ever-changing mix of technological advances and business trends that redefine how we work. 
ongoing performance, and our world around us. Tune into Humanity Evolve with host Catherine Calarco. It's an open discussion about these trends and advances that come together to create a positive future for you, your family, and your world. Humanity Evolve can be heard live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is the Voice America Women's Channel, where your success is limitless. Listening to Defining Moments with Debbie Montgomery Johnson. To reach the show today, please call in to 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Or send an email to Debbie at the woman behind the smile.com. That's D E B B Y at the woman behind the smile.com. Now, back to Defining Moments. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with my friend, Christy Rutherford, and we were just in the middle of her having a rageful moment with uh, disrespect (laughs) in the Coast Guard. And uh, I think I might have had that for a moment when I was in the Air Force. Only one time when I was stationed over in Germany, I was a young lieutenant running a big photo lab with about 80 people. And I had a chief master sergeant, and he'd been in the service 20-something years. And he thought I was this little... I don't know what he thought, this young gal who didn't know a thing about anything. And uh, he kind of gave me that attitude that you were talking about, Christy. And the colonel that I worked for very quickly tra- transferred that chief out of the, out of the lab. And uh, we, got, we got on with the work of the day. So that doesn't always happen. You can't have your boss like move somebody out. But um, how did you deal with, with what was going on? And when did you realize that maybe it was you that was, you know, your attitude needed to change rather than some of the men? It was, I, I, I left that office. I went to Houston. I worked two years. Rock star. Rock star. <laughs> so, I had great bosses. So when I left that office, I was depleted and defeated. And just, I vowed to not do any work. I was done. And I ended up uh, having the just sincere pleasure to work for two people who saved me from myself. And they were just the greatest bosses ever. And then the Coast Guard reorganized. And then, so I lost them and got two more crazy bosses. And that was, and and they harassed me. And and one, the, the first day of one guy, I had been there two years. I had gotten two medals. I responded to Katrina, you know, who's who amongst America's and professionals. So it was in a mag, I was in a magazine. So I had all these things. So, so my ego was on fire. <laughs> I'm a rock star. And the first, and, the, and my boss, and this new boss came in his first day. I had been there two years already. And his first day, our first meeting, I sat down and, and shook his hand. Hey, how you doing? I'm Chris Rutherford. 
you know, so great to meet you. And he said, you're incompetent. And I said, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) Just just like that? He said, you're incompetent. And I was like, what am I, (laughs) what is going on? And and he and the next guy harassed me for a year and they refused to let me do my job. But the people who worked for me, because we're all, it was a team. So it was me and a team. And we're all rock stars, and they just put a kibosh on everything that we did and just harassed me for a year. And I left that job stuttering. So what was and your rank at the time, and what was his? What was, you said what was what? What was your rank at the time, and, and I was, what was his? Yeah, I, was a, I was a lieutenant, so I was a mid-grade uh, officer. I had been in eight years, and he had been in 12. So that's okay. to give the, you know, the equivalent. He, he was a lieutenant commander. So that so was, not much, he was not much more than you. He was not much. He didn't have much more rank than you did. One rank. No, but I had more medals than he did. So I had, I had, he had one personal award. I had eight. So I had just gotten two of what he only had one of. And so it became this, it was, it was just nuts. And so I left stuttering and I went to go work on Capitol Hill and for three years, so I was loaned to Congress from the Coast Guard, so I wasn't around Coast Guard people. And, and it was awesome. To, and so that's when I started to see who I had become and not necessarily who I was, but who life made me. And I went to Georgetown. And I got my coaching certification. And so now, you know, people, everybody's in coaching. There are a lot of people who are my coaching classmates. Amazing humans, spiritual, just they're free and they're light and they're fluffy and they have clouds and unicorns. And then you have the abrasive military officer who used to be like them, but life changed me so much. Circumstances changed me. Bosses changed me. You know, uh, disrespect from people changed me. And, and they would talk about authenticity. And I didn't know what that meant. Uh, you know, I was, I, I conformed, right? So they would talk about, and I, and I read a book on authenticity. I read articles and I couldn't figure out what it meant until I reconnected with who I used to be. And I was like, oh my God, I, I dug up my high school version of myself and said, this is who she is. And I reconnected with self, reconnected with my inner self. And I watched Oprah and Wayne Dyer, Eckhart Tolle, Louise Hay, all, you know, all the spiritual teachers. And so now when I went back to the office, to, to the next office, my three years was up, and I now consciously, I'm consciously giving away pieces of who I am to fit into the environment. And that's when the, I think the unraveling started to occur because I, I changed unconsciously and assimilated unconsciously into the environment and gave away the best parts of myself to fit into the military because the happy, go lucky, free spirit, rainbows, butterflies at my rank does not fit into my uniform. And so now there's true conflict between who Christy is and who the military person is. And that became readily apparent in my last office. That happens. And honestly, that was one of the reasons why I ended up getting out of the service, because I just I was looking at the senior ranking women at the time. And this is back in the 80s and and early 90s. And I just didn't see anybody that I wanted to emulate. Yeah. And yeah. When, when I left, I had an exit interview with the with the general I was working for at the Pentagon. And I, I he said, opened up his big book his, on my exit interview. And he goes, I'd like to write down why you're leaving. And I first thing I said was, first off, sir, I'm, I'm having children and I really would like to spend time with my family and raise the kids. But one of the biggest reasons is I don't see any women that I want to be like. 
And he closed his book and he said, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for going home and taking care of your family. You will will impact generations to come. But we will miss you and women like you because we need people like that in the service. We need people that are humble and kind and, you know, and smart and can work well. And we will miss you, but, you know, I wish you well. But that's yeah, true, but you Christy. You would be cannibalized. As, as a smart, funny, kind, humble person, you would be cannibalized. You would make it. <laughs> you would to a certain, a certain extent. But maybe you saw it a little differently because you were in such a minority in the, in the Coast Guard. You know, in the Air Force, oh. there, were, there were a lot of women. But most of us got to captain, major rank, and then they started to weed out. Um, yeah. It's changed. It's changed. I've been out 20 years now, but it's changed. And... Uh, but, you know, reading your story, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, could I have kept quiet in that situation? Or would I have had moments like you where <laughs> you seem to get pretty vocal, uh, which probably wasn't, I'm imagining, wasn't taken very well? Or did they want you to fight back when they were getting on you? Or would they have preferred for you just to close your mouth and go away? I'm not sure. But I'm not, I'm not going to take it. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. I'm not sure what they wanted me to do. And now, you know, I think about even on my way out and what happened was the boss that, that harassed me from the last office in Houston where I left stuttering, but came to be my, he came to be my boss after I'd been at this other office for a year. And he was the person that, you know, he said, what are your goals in, in Houston? So I was, I had, you know, eight, eight, ten years in at that point. And I said, I want to be the first black female captain, which is colonel equivalent, in the Coast Guard. And he smiled like the Grinch who stole Christmas. And he looked like I'm going to do everything in my power not to let that happen. Mm-hmm. So I was saved in that last office because we were he wasn't at the top. But now he comes to this new office, and he was the, the manager. And he was like, I'm going to destroy you, only because he could. And so that was the whole unraveling of, why, why am I fighting? Because I'm gonna, I can fight. I, I'm, I'm used to fighting. But I thought that if I fought you when I was young, I thought if I fought you at 24, 25, 26, 27, I'm 36 and I'm still fighting. Insanity is doing the, 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 the same the thing, same over thing and, and over. expecting different results. And exactly. it wasn't all bad. It was, it was periods of great and then it's periods of awful. And it's periods of great and it's periods of awful. And, you know, looking at the book and... Writing it made me see it all together in one timeline. So mm-hmm. a lot of women suffer a slow bleed. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, know, you, you, have the, you have the quick bleed, and then you have the slow bleed. So mine was a slow bleed, and then it just culminated into ridiculousness you know, at a certain point. So looking back, I'm like, Chrissy, you stayed too long. But I don't regret it because I was able to, to do some incredible things. I was able to meet some incredible people. I mean, I still have friends, and you know, in the military, but in the Coast Guard, we're like family. I still have family who's still in the military. I created a legacy. I still mentor the, the junior leaders that used to work for me. One, one is actually deployed. So I'm like, hey, y'all need to get it together. And you, got, you have to go deploy because the people need your awesomeness. So I'm pushing them to go and continue to be great. So I don't have any regrets, but... Looking at it, you know, in the book timeline altogether, I stayed too long. But one question, when I came up with my stand-up and stand-up series, the S in stand-up means seek, uh, seek authorities or seek someone to talk to. Did you have anybody that was above you that you could go to and they would listen to you? I did. I had mentors. I had mentors in 
after my fifth year. So I had mentors, and they were awesome. And then after I became a coach, I had a coach. So the coaching was integral. And, and the thing about the mentors, you can only tell them so much. And they were men. I didn't have any women. Okay, and no women. so when I think about getting to the boardroom level in my last job, the men couldn't prepare me for what I was, even, even you know, the African-American men. I had, like, a gazillion mentors, whether they were black, white, it, it doesn't matter. Like, anybody who talked to me and lead me, and if I like you, <laughs> you know, I had, like, 13 mentors. But even as men, they couldn't prepare me for what it would be like to be in the boardroom as the only woman, you know, uh, the only... The, the only black officer, the only woman in the room in Southeast Texas. And um, so there was a gap between how women are treated in the boardroom than men, regardless of, you know, it's a double minority. Um, so that was interesting. And, but I did have a coach at that time. So she saved me from self-destruction <laughs> and, you know, making the decision to leave. That was made with someone who wasn't inside the service someone that I could be fully transparent with, somebody that I can share my guts and my, you know, and my glory with the non-judgmental, non-attached person that kid that, that was on Team Christy. And that's okay. why I love coaching, and that's why coaching is so important, because as a leader, you need somebody on your team simply for you. Not, I'm on your team because I need you to get greater results so I can be promoted, or... I'm on your team as long as you're in the service. It's who's on your team solely for you, solely for your betterment and your health and can be able to shine light in what your challenges are and allow you to make the tough decisions. Uh, so that was really, really key. And how did you find that coach outside of the service? She was my classmate. So I went to Georgetown to get my coaching certification while, okay. I, while I worked on the Hill. And she was my classmate. So... We, we we offered at the time, hey, we're we're all gonna coach each other and we're gonna be awesome but she was one of the people that I that I kept in touch with and ended up just creating a relationship and a contract with her to coach me. And she did so all the way up to about three years ago. So she was my coach for eight years or so. Did you find it how did you come about telling her the story at first? Which story? The story about what was going on. Because I know when I had to divulge what had happened to me the scam, it was really difficult for me to talk about it, to bring it up. Well, so were we you were able friends. to just open up? And, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just went, because she wasn't military, and sometimes it's hard to understand what's going on. I mean, I'm just sitting there going, what the heck? Why are you putting up with that crap? You know? Yeah. But you yeah. have respect for the office, not necessarily the person that's where the, you respect the uniform, not necessarily the person in it sometimes. So it puts you in a hard position. Yeah. But that, what was interesting about the coaching course was on the first day, they said, who, I knew I had a problem <laughs> when I went to coaching. So the coaching certification at Georgetown was so good because we spent the first three months cleaning out our closet, right? And so to, to have the ability to have a career in something after that was icing on the cake, but we got to clean up our own closet. And on the first day, they said, if somebody volunteers to come on stage and be coached by like a master coach and divulge whatever you get to ask him and tell your business in front of everybody, you'll get six, three or six free coach. It was three because he's worth six hundred dollars an hour. You get three coaching free coaching sessions with him. I raised my hand, and so I went up on stage, and I had a problem because there was Christy, and then at the time I was lieutenant. There was Lieutenant Rutherford. 
and she was two different people and in one body. But I would, so it's almost like your work self and your home self. And, and even people in corporate America have it where you go to work and you turn into somebody else, you come home and you turn into somebody else. But the line between the, the military person and who I was as a human had become so pronounced that I sat on stage and, it's, and they were all amazed, right? And so he would talk to me and my posture would change. And he would talk to the military person, my voice and the projection of my voice and my posture would change. And then he would go back. So he was playing the, between the two people and people in <laughs> my classmates were like, oh my God, it's two different people sitting on the stage in one body. I thought I had problems. So it, it, it's funny because it allowed everybody to calm down about our baggage that we were dragging around. Um, so that was so that was good. So she already knew going into it. I was seeking to reconnect and be one whole person and not two separate people. Right. Well, that's interesting because you must have been exhausted all day long, all night long, trying to yeah, yeah, live those two different lives. I was. It's hard enough to, to live one life, but then to have two separate individuals in one. Um, I understand that, and it, and it's hard. You you feel like a, you know you're juggling all the time, and like where am mm-hmm. I? What am I? You know how am I supposed to act here? How do I act mm-hmm. there? Yep. And then when you, uh, I, I would think that sometimes the fallback would be the military side, which would come out, and that can scare people outside. That oh my gosh, who is this you know crazy lunatic that's in a uniform? Um, but it's we like to do things quickly. We talk fast. We work fast. We get things done, and it's important. And um, it's interesting not to get into politics, but there are a lot of military officers now that are being pulled into into Washington into politics because I think they're valued for being able to get things done uh, yeah. without being intimidated by by people. And uh, but there's a fine line to not intimidating others with what you can do. And yes. Sometimes you can be intimidating, and you were with me until I found out exactly why you were. And I'm thinking, well, but she's got a soft side that's really cool, and and yeah. that's the side that I'd love to see that you're developing, and that you're you know it's coming out with all these great women that you're working with around the world. So in a few seconds, Christy, we're going to go to another break. We have a great opportunity to do that, and when we come back, I think we're going to just talk about the defining moment. Uh, we've kind of talked around it, but the defining moment of when you got out of the service and a little bit about maybe how your family felt about it, because I feel like in my situation, family was important to me and what they what they felt and how they uh, how they helped me get through it. And then what you're doing uh, in your own power now that you're standing up in your own power as a coach and a leader and how you're doing that um, in real in, in the outside world, as I would put it. So everybody that's out there, please go and get a drink of water. Take a quick break. The D in stand in my stand-up series is drink water because our bodies need to be hydrated and we need that for our brains and for our, our insides to keep going. So take a quick drink of water and come on back. And Chrissy, will be back and we're going to talk about the next chapter in your life. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Religion and faith are many different things to many different people. Once you have the basic foundations of religious faith, the rest is up to you. Listen for Everyday Spirituality with host and life coach Kimberly Tobin. We can look past the restraints of religion where it is thought that one belief is the gold standard and everything else is wrong. 
Spirituality can be found in everything, and we can peacefully exist with different paths to belief. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Women. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. And join us for a replay of the show on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life voice america women your passion starts here you are listening to defining moments with debbie montgomery johnson to reach the show today please call in to 1-866-613-1612 That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to Debbie at thewomanbehindthesmile.com. That's D-E-B-B-Y at thewomanbehindthesmile.com. Now, back to Defining Moments. I'm so glad to be back here with my friend Christy Rutherford. And uh, Christy, I just have one thing to say here. It's really interesting. I said, you have proved your worth in the Coast Guard. But apparently there were some who didn't appreciate what you knew or who were intimidated by what you knew. And let's just talk about that defining moment that changed your life, at least your career life forever, and how it came about. At at the end, I I was being, you know, I talked about that, that boss coming back. And it was traumatic because it's almost like if you have a kid who's being in an abusive household, and you take them out of that household and you put them somewhere where the parents love them and give them cake and buy, you know, buy them dresses and stuff. And, and they have a whole new life. But then if you put that, that child back into that abusive household, then they know, you know what I'm saying? Like their reaction is going to be different. And so he came, he was like, I'm going to destroy you. And I was really disappointed because. I had done everything right. I had gone to all the Christmas parties. I worked the 80 hours. I was a workaholic. I worked 60 to 80 hours a week. I performed and I have one person who's going to take me out and and not get me and and I'm not going to be promoted only because he could. And because I built all these relationships and, you know, I called all these people and I'm calling all these officers and everybody that I knew to just say, hey, get him off me, you know, make him leave me alone. And they were like, just file a civil rights complaint. And I said, you know what? It got to the point where my, my arthritis came back. I was having panic attacks. I was just blacking out and just melting. And so I can stay for the money. I'm fighting. And, and so it really came to came down to, you've done everything right. You're fighting. 
what are you fighting for? Like, you know, are, are, is it still about, is this thing about pride or is it about what's right? And so I made the decision to resign. And with three and a half years left to retire, it was absolute lunacy. But I couldn't take another day of being harassed. And he took away my ability to do my job and, and wouldn't allow me to take care of the people who work for me. And so he wanted me to be mediocre. And you can't pay me. I was making six figures. You can't pay me to stunt my growth and make me mediocre and, and make me ineffective in front of people who considered me to, considered me to be a leader. And so I left. And, and you talk about family. I didn't go home for... I maybe went home once or twice in that year. I disappeared because I did, my family was distraught. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'm sure they see you throwing away a huge retirement. Oh, yeah, yeah. For- and and they don't know how to identify me now, right? Because being from a small town, they can say, Chrissy's in the service. Even if they don't know what that means, right. they were proud of what I was doing. They didn't know I was being harassed. But for them to be able to brag on me, I, I was the first person in my family to go to college. I'm the first person in my family to make six figures and get a master's degree. So I was that person. But I was suffering so much that they didn't know. So there are two sides to this story. So... They wanted to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. And I couldn't. And in the military, all the military people were my friends. Military, we only hang out with each other. So I can't talk to them because they kept asking me to come back or asking me to explain and wanted me to talk about it. So I left, jumped off, you know, a cliff into the darkness, betting all chips on Christie. And I made and I just created a whole new life. So you had that hidden, that you had that desired. hidden story, and you were hiding behind a rock. Yeah, right. You did not yeah. want to share that at the time. So, without the support of the family, maybe a little bit of support from your coach and some of your friends, how were you able to get out from under that rock and then stand up for yourself again? It, it took. It took. So the first the first year. I was with a network marketing company and I had a million, you know, million dollar coach. And so I just met all new people. I flew around and I'm, you know, learning a lot about personal development, Les Brown, Jim Rome, and, you know, and, and him working with me to teach me how to dress and how to talk to people. And so I had a coach and it was a different coach. It was a business coach of how to now become human again and, and break off the military piece. And so that was awesome. I, and, and Craig Hill is his name. And I just, I just, have tremendous respect for him to work with me and be like, Chris, you can't curse people out. Be like, why not? Well, if I don't curse him out, what am I supposed to say? (laughs) And then after I slowed down and I stopped, and this is what I rarely talk about, but I stopped and I, and I couldn't sell coffee anymore because I I moved home my brother because I ran out of money. I saved about a hundred thousand dollars and I moved home my brother. I had been offered 30 jobs. But I knew that there was still something I wasn't addressing. There was still an energy that was trying to get out. There was still brokenness that had not been managed. And, and, if, if, if I'm, and I had run away from who I was supposed to be for so long, I had to stop and say, okay, I surrender. I surrender to the higher power. I surrender to whatever you're calling me to do. And that took three and a half years. And, and so I ran out of money. I'm in my brother's house with no money, no car. It's me. And, and, and God, 24 hours a day for three and a half years. And I went to go see my family on Sundays, but six days a week, it was now I have to really face who am I? Who am I really? And, and, and dig deep into and own. 
the stuff that I created, which is how I can talk about it now, of what my reactions is what created my arthritis. And, and being able to own who I was and what I did and even seeing them for who they are. And so it, it, was, it was excruciating, but I didn't die. <laughs> now, to, to, to graduate from Harvard and to do all these things and to write the books, that's how I can write uh, five books in eight months. But to well, now ex- be able to view life from a, from a different perspective, I offer that to other people around the world because I now have that insight. Well, and, and uh, I can so hear, been, I can hear the smile. Tremendous. I can hear the smile in your voice, you yeah. know, and when I read the books, I could, I could feel the hurt that you had and mm-hmm. you're fundamentally different because of your yeah. defining moment and, and telling. And, and now you can help those people. As I say, once you share your story, you're helping the woman or the man beside you because now they feel like they're not alone. So. Yeah. Let us know how people can get a hold of your books. They're extraordinary. I mean, just to have written so many so quickly and uh, gotten some good information out there. But how can people get a hold of you? Uh, especially, I'm, I'm thinking of my you know, friends in the military that may have gone through some of the same things as you and they're transitioning back into real life or into real life for the first time. How can they get a hold of you and how can, how can you work with them? It's two things. So you can reach me on my website, Christy Rutherford, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, Rutherford, R-U-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D, ChristyRutherford.com. You can schedule a discovery call with me. My books are sold on Amazon and Kindle, and the links are also on my website. And I did want to talk about a new community that I just launched. It's called Restore You with Christy. And that community is really about what I've learned and how I got up off the ground. <laughs> When you're, when you're shattered into a thousand pieces, how do I now, how do you recreate who you're supposed to be? Or if you're broken and on the way down, how to resuscitate yourself so you don't get broken into a thousand pieces? So really what my goal is with, with women and, and really men around the world, leaders, and regardless of whether it's military, whether it's people in corporate, whether we're in China, South Africa, and that's what Harvard taught me, Singapore, leadership, leaders fundamentally we have a lot of the same character traits that make us great leaders, but we also share the same dysfunction. And, and so, but we can't tell anybody because we're, we're everybody's superhero. So, so Restore You is about restoring who you used to be and letting go of who life made you. And people have the same challenges around the world. So that's what Restore You with Christy is about is I don't, I know that everybody shouldn't share the same fate. And if I'm not here to be transparent and say, hey, yeah, I fell, I fell apart into a thousand pieces. And, but look at me now. Once you're able to put yourself back together again, you can be so much greater and offer so much more to the world if you're willing to do the work. So it's work, but it's so worth it. And just like you talked about, to shift from pain to the point where people can see a glow around you and a smile in your voice, the joy is a myth. And we all deserve that. Well, I think we, we, we're out there to give some light to the end of the tunnel because yeah. I know I'm just like you and I'm working with women that have been scammed out of lots and lots of money, uh, either online dating or whatever the situation would be. When they're down in the trenches, it's very difficult for them to see any hope. And they're like, well, but yeah. you got out of it. You've gotten married. I'm like, yeah, but that last suit doesn't have pockets. And so I can't take the money <laughs> with me. But I did learn from the experience and the joy that I feel now is because I've chosen to, to do something positive with it, not to wallow in the victimization of what we had. 
And yeah. same with you. And I think maybe that's why we've gotten to be such good friends so quickly because we, we fundamentally feel the same way about not being a victim and moving yeah. forward as fast as we can, but realizing too that it's difficult to open up and to put yourself out there and to be so vulnerable to what other people think. But there's the key is that it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what we think, you know, and, and how we feel about ourselves is so vital. So you've you've done some extraordinary things. And, and one really quick thing, you got an exceptional award when you were in the service called the Dorothy Stratton Leadership Award. Mm-hmm. And that was what one of, how many women get that? How many people get that? It's one, one is given to one uh, junior officer, one female junior officer a year. So you, re- you received that. So obviously you've got some extraordinary leadership qualities that you're using now in your Live Up Leadership Group. Yeah, Live Up Leadership is basically a leadership development, a training company. So I'm a coach. I, I, I'm a restorer. <laughs> but for the most part, I work with leaders. And so Live Up Leadership is my leadership development, a training company. And what I want people to know is we're, everybody wants to think that leadership is a trend or they're looking for innovation or they're looking for all these external things and these new hot topics where we can train our leaders, but nobody's training leaders on the fundamental principles of leadership. What's at the core of leadership and how do you get the best from your people? And I take leadership very, very seriously, which is why I still mentor the guys who used to work for me. <laughs> because right. I still expect greatness from them, even though they haven't worked for me for five, six years. I still talk to them because they are important to me. They were important to me five, six years ago, and their growth and their trajectory and who they are and who they become as leaders were important. You know, it was important to me then. It's important to me now. So that's still not broken. So I love training people and inspiring. And these are all people, and I never called them millennials. These are young guys, and they're all rock stars. And so I love training people to become a greater version of who they are. So that's the overarching theme of coaching is to bring out the best in a person to, to, to show them who they truly are and what they can accomplish. Being a leader is pulling out the person that's within them and, and allowing them to see how great they can be. And if, and if you can show a person who they are, they never go back. You just create is limitless of what is possible for them. And I've demonstrated it over and over and over again. So that's what live up leadership is about is training leaders on how to be great leaders to get the most out of their people. So they can then get the result. Everybody's focused on the results and not focused on the people. I'm saying focus on the people and you'll get the results. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Christy, we have come to the end of our show. I can't believe how quickly this hour went. You and I could go on for a week. But I'd like to thank you again for your service to the country. Thank you for sharing your defining moment with us. Um, I encourage the listeners, all of you, to stand up in your own power. Speak up and be true to your defining moments because your hidden stories, once revealed, like mine and like Christy's were, may be the key to unlocking your potential for greatness. And it's not all about us. It's about everybody out there and what you can do for yourself and then what you can do for the person around you. And if you have a defining moment and would like to share that with us, please email me at Debbie, that's D-E-B-B-Y, at thewomanbehindthesmile.com or visit my website. There's You can download for free the seven steps to standing up in your power. 
if you listen to Christy's story over again and you look at those stand up, the seven steps to stand up, it's not about an online dating scam. It is about being a victim to something in your life and then standing up in your own power uh, and speaking up and talking and, and acknowledging and forgiving yourself and moving on. So I have thoroughly enjoyed our time today, Christy. I, I can't I can't thank you enough for being my friend and for being on the show today. And And folks, until next week, Stand up in your power and be true to you and be true to your own story and find someone that you can mentor, find someone that you can hug, find someone that you can really love in your life and have joy today and put a smile on. Do not be the woman behind the smile. Be the woman with the smile. So, Chrissy, thanks a bunch. And uh, to all you listeners, we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks so much for being here and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Defining Moments. Be sure to join Debbie Montgomery Johnson for another edition next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Find your power this week.